Praise the Lord. <laughs> Good evening to you and welcome tonight to our Wednesday night Bible study. How many of you are thankful tonight that we come to Jesus just like we are? That He accepts us just like we are? Now, like we said so many times before, uh, we certainly come to the Lord just like we are, but He loves us too much to leave us like He found us. And He begins the process of changing us to be what He wants us to be. That's such a powerful thing. I'm so thankful for that truth tonight. Thank you, brother, for that song. I appreciate it. Uh, God is good, and um, always good to sing praise to Him. Take your Bibles this evening. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter number 11, and we're going to continue our journey through through the hall of faith, because that's what we find here in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Last week, if you were here, you remember that we looked at verse number 4 and studied about righteous Abel. Now that's what Jesus called him was righteous Abel, and I think that's what uh, would be good for us to call him if Jesus called him that. And Jesus called him righteous because Abel, by faith, offered a sacrifice of worship to the Lord that pointed to the coming Christ. And so he was considered righteous because of his faith. Now we said it matters, according to the story of Abel, that who we worship, it matters, but also how we worship. That matters greatly. If you believe that, say amen tonight. The Bible tells us uh, the only one worthy of our worship is the God of the Bible. That's the who in who we worship. We worship Him. He's the only one worthy of our honor and our glory. And then the Bible teaches that not only do we worship God, but how do we worship Him? Well, we direct our worship to Jesus, just like Abel did. We said that Abel uh, was a picture of faith worshiping. It matters who we worship, and it matters how we worship. And according to Genesis chapter 4 and the, and the story of Cain and Abel, um, God uh, takes that very seriously. Who we worship, how we worship, it means something. And so we always need to pay attention, first of all, who we're worshiping, and, and certainly how we worship the God of the Bible. All our worship should be directed toward the Lord Jesus. That's why we talk about this so much, that um, everything we do should honor glorify, honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And every song we sing, and every uh, message we preach, and every lesson we teach, and every prayer we pray, and everything we do, and every plan, and every program, we ought to do everything we can to honor and glorify King Jesus. For He is King of Kings, And He is Lord of Lords. And how many of you know, it's not about us, really. It's about Him. Now, we get to be a part of what He's doing, and we get to be a part of His family, the church, but when it comes to who deserves worship, honor, glory, and praise, that should be directed all toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, righteous Abel um, was considered righteous because he directed his worship in the way of sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to do the same thing. Now, we're going to move on from that tonight. We'll move on from verse number 4, and and what I want to do this evening is look at verses 5 and 6. We're going to talk about Enoch. Now, if Abel represented faith worshiping, then Enoch represented faith walking, what it means to walk by faith. I heard someone say years ago that Enoch is just putting faith in shoe leather. It's walking your faith out daily. And, and, and Enoch teaches us what that looks like. And that's what we'll be looking at this evening. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Look what it says. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony 
that he pleased God. Now, how did he please God? Well, he pleased God by walking by faith. He pleased God by trusting in who God is and what God said, and then he applied God's truth to his life, and the Bible says that it pleased the Lord. Look at verse number 6 now. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you believe the word of God this morning, this evening, say amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. We're praying, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us clearly just exactly what we need to see. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would do your work in this place. Speak to me, speak through me, fill me up, Lord, and pour me out into the lives of these people. Lord, I need that more than anything else. We need that more than anything else. We pray for a fresh anointing, a fresh touch this evening that only you can bring. In Jesus' name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Let's look, keep your place there in Hebrews chapter number 11. And I just want to flip back over to Genesis chapter number 5 and give you what the Bible says concerning this man Enoch. There's not much of it. It's really just three or four verses. But Enoch was a, uh, a major player when it came to faith because he's listed in the hall of faith. And so even though he only has four or five verses, these are big ones. They're power packed. Look what the Bible says, Genesis chapter number 5, and let's start with verse number 13. Genesis 5, 13, and Canaan lived after he begat Mahalil 840 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and the Bible says he died. Everybody say that? 910 years this man lived, but he died. Look at verse 16, and Mahalil lived after he begot Jared, 830 years and begot sons and daughters and all the days of Mahalil were 890 and 505 years 895 years old but it says at the end of verse 17 and he died now look at verse 18 watch this and Jared lived in 160 and two years and he begot Enoch and Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and begot sons and daughters and all the days of Jared were 960 and two years and the Bible says he died he died, he died, he died. All these men that are being mentioned in this genealogy, this record that the Bible gives, the Bible says they died. But look at Enoch. Watch this. Verse 20. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, watch this now, for God took him. That means Enoch didn't die. That means God translated Enoch from planet earth with him into heaven. I heard uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe say once upon a time that Enoch walked with God so closely day by day, all the days of his life, that one day as him and God were walking, they noticed they were closer to God's home than they were to Enoch's home. So he just went on home with the Lord. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Enoch. He walked by faith that pleased God. And the Bible says God translated him. Now why is that important? Why is that powerful? Well, if we remember last week, we talked about how the faith of Abel pointed toward the sacrificing of the Lord Jesus. It pointed toward the Lamb of Calvary. How do you know Enoch points to the rapture of the church? One day, the people of God who've placed faith in Jesus, we shall be translated to be with the Lord forever. We'll be called up to be with the Lord. Enoch was the first one raptured, the church, 
will be raptured when Jesus comes back for us. And so all of this is a foreshadowing of what's happening now with the people of God, what has happened and what will happen. And so Enoch, the Bible says, was pleasing unto God and was translated. Let's go on. Verse 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So the Bible tells us twice there in just two or three verses that Enoch walked with God. Enoch represents walking in faith. If Abel is about worshiping faith, Enoch is about walking faith. It's about putting faith in the shoe leather and what that looks like in the life of absolutely or what it should look like in the life of every believer. Now, our faith in God grows as we fellowship with Him. How many of you are thankful this evening that we have the great privilege of fellowshipping with the God of heaven? That's what we do when we come to services like this, man, and we sing praise unto the Lord and we pray together and we uh, sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and we study the Word of God together. What we're doing is fellowshipping with God, with His people, in His place, by His power, in His presence. That is a powerful, powerful thing. I'm thankful that we can do that each and every time we meet together. And the Bible promises that where two or three gather in His his name, what's it say? He's in the midst. He's with us. So we don't have to wonder whether or not God's going to meet with us. He's always going to meet with us when his people gather together. But now let me say something else to you. How many of you understand that our fellowship with God is not confined inside the four walls of this church? Matter of fact, if all you're getting of your fellowship with God is what happens inside the four walls of this church, then you're missing out on a great deal of what God has for you. I'm thankful that wherever we are as the people of God, whenever we are as the people of God, we can fellowship with Him. Just last night, I had the great privilege and opportunity of sitting around my dinner table and speaking with my wife and children about what God is doing in the world, what I believe God is going to do in the world. And we had Bible study right there around the kitchen table. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we had church. It was amazing. We fellowship with God right there in our home. And we can do that wherever we are. It's not confined. It's not confined to just the, inside the four walls of this place. Now, we do that here. And I'm thankful that we're able to, but as the people of God, wherever we go, God goes with us. Therefore, we can fellowship with Him. Amen? It's not confined to just this place. shouldn't be confined to just this place. But we, our faith grows as we fellowship with Him. Now listen to me. For our faith to grow, we must have three things. For us to have faith, walking faith, faith in shoe leather, like Enoch had that pleased God, then we got to have three things. First of all, there's got to be a desire within us to please God. And I want you to understand something. Only God can bring that to pass in your life. Only God can do that. Nobody can talk to you enough and cause you to want to please God. I mean, only God can give you that desire deep down in the recesses of your soul to please Him. I can't talk you into it. Nobody else can. That has to be something God does individually in the life of the believer. 
Let me read to you something from Romans chapter number 7. And brother, if you will please put that on the screen for me. Romans 7 and verse number 18. The Apostle Paul is speaking here. Very powerful verse. He says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Now, how many of y'all figured that out? When he's talking about the flesh, he's talking about that old sinful nature that we were all born with. The sinful nature that came from Papa Adam, that all of us now have uh, been born with and, and actually still have, even as believers, that we're supposed to be dying to daily. That old sinful nature, there's no good thing in it. It dwells no good thing, Paul said. Now he goes on though, and he says something else that I love. He says, for to will, everybody say to will. For to will is present within me. Now really what Paul is saying is, I have a desire to please God. There's something deep down on the inside of me that makes me want to please God in the, in the decision choices that I make. Now, why is that there in the Apostle Paul's life? How will that be there in our life? I'll tell you how. When we got saved, a lot of great things happened. How many of you understand, listen to me folks, when you got saved, the Bible teaches that our sin that separated us from God was forgiven, and it actually says it was placed as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103 and 12. Brothers, put that on the screen for me. Let's read that together. This is actually a prophetic statement all the way back in the book of Psalms about the finished work of Christ and what it's going to do for every believer who placed trust in Him. Psalm 103 and 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions for us, from us. How many of you are thankful tonight that our sin has been put as far as the east is from the west? That sin that once separated me from God, now because of the finished work of Jesus, when I place my faith in who Christ is and what he has done, the Bible teaches my sin was washed clean by the precious blood of Christ. It was put as far as the east is from the west. So therefore now that which separated me from God has been taken away and I have been reconciled back to God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now I have relationship with him and because I have relationship with him, I therefore can have fellowship with him. My sin was forgiven the moment I placed faith in Jesus. The moment I asked him to forgive me of my sin and save me, he did just that. For the Bible says, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord. He's good, isn't he? He's forgiven our sin. Let me tell you another amazing thing that happened when you got saved. Not only was your sin forgiven, but the Bible also teaches that our name was written down in heaven. Think about that just a moment. Luke chapter 10, in verse number 20, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He actually sent his disciples out into the cities to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And while they were there, they encountered people who were possessed with demonic spirits. And while they were out there, they just did the things that Jesus was doing. They prayed for these people in the name of Jesus and cast out the demonic spirits. And they came back to the Lord and they were all excited. And it's like, Lord, you're not going to believe it. 
when we were out there, we spoke to these demonic entities that were possessing these people. And when we spoke to them in your name, they were cast out. And they were all excited about it. Because the demons recognized who they were in Christ. You know what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20? Don't be excited that the demonic spirits know your name. What you really need to be excited about is that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. The moment we place faith in Christ, our names are written down in heaven. How many of you thankful for that tonight? <laughs> Praise God. I've missed hell and gained heaven all because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. My sin was forgiven. My name was written down in the Lamb's book of life. Let me tell you something else that's absolutely fantastic about being born again to the family of God. The moment I trusted in Jesus, I was indwelled by the precious, powerful, personal Holy Spirit of God. Now he lives in me. Let me give you some really good verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. Watch what this is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man be, everybody say it with me. Let's try that again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, they're passed away. And behold, all things become new. So what the scripture is teaching is that now that I've been converted, now that I've placed faith in Jesus, my position has changed. I went from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. And now I'm a new creature. Wow. It's powerful. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, brothers. Ephesians chapter 2, let's start with verse number, uh, about verse number 3, I believe it is. Ephesians 2 and verse 3. Let's read this together. Among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, I don't know about you, but that describes where I was before Jesus. I was a child of wrath. I was fulfilling the desires of the flesh. My lifestyle was about the fulfilling the desires that pleased this sinful nature uh, that I was born with. Look at verse number four. Watch this though. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, or he's made us alive together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. How many of you are thankful tonight that I used to be fulfilling the desires of the flesh, but God, who has shown me mercy, has changed all that? God has changed me and is changing me by his mercy and grace. He's made me alive in Jesus. Look at verse number 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Read that next part with me. In Christ Jesus. Y'all help me preach tonight now. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what is the Bible teaching? The Bible is teaching that when I place faith in Christ, my position has changed, and now I am in Christ. And brothers and sisters, if you place faith in Jesus, I've got good news for you. You too are in Christ. But let me say something. 
Not only are you in Christ, but Christ is in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16, brothers, put that on the screen for me. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth says that we are now the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, watch this. Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God does what? Dwells in you. Now think about that just a moment. The God of all creation dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. <laughs> Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say that we're all a bunch of cracked pots, and he's right. We're all a bunch of earthen vessels, a bunch of cracked pots. But God has chosen to place this treasure in us himself the spirit of God almighty lives in us ye are the temple of God God lives in you now with that divine nature that you have received in the person of the Holy Spirit comes a new desire a desire to please God a desire that Frankly, for me, it didn't used to be there. <laughs> Matter of fact, when, before I came to faith in Christ, got serious with Jesus, and Jesus got serious with me, I had no desire to please God. I, I cared nothing about what God wanted for me or had for me. I was pleasing me. And any good thing I did, it wasn't for God's glory. It was for my glory. And I feel if, if we're all honest, according to what Scripture has already told us, that was all of us. Every one of us. But now that I've been put in Christ, my position has changed. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. I have a desire to please Him. Let me ask you something. Is there truly a desire in your heart to please God on a daily basis? If not, there should be. If there's not, there's something wrong. Either one of two things are happening. Either you're allowing that old sinful nature to rule and reign in your life, or you've never been born again. One of those two things are happening. If you are a Christian, you have been born again, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. you. There are times in our life when we can allow that old sinful nature to rule and reign. Dr. Warren Wiersbe always said it like this. He said that God the Holy Spirit has set up residence within our heart and life. And he should be president within our heart and life. He should rule and reign and it should be what he wants and not what we want. It should be him leading, guiding, and directing us. It's my body, but it's his life. Can you say amen? Dr. Johnny Mays, I love him, so thankful for him. That's what he always used to tell me. It's got to be our body, but it's his life if we're really going to make a difference. It's him working on us, in us, and through us to accomplish his good will and purpose. 
Now, if there's no desire for that, then you've really got to check up and think, is God the Holy Spirit living in me? Let, let, let me tell you why I'm at church on a Wednesday night. You say, brother, you're at church on Wednesday night because you're the pastor. We pay you to be here. Well, that's true. You do pay me, and I'm thankful for that. That's a blessing to me and my family. But I want to tell you something. If you wouldn't pay me, I'd still be in church. Let me tell you why I'm at church on a Wednesday night. Because I want to please God. I have a desire to please God. And the Bible says that if there's a chance for me to, to come and worship Him with other believers, I need to do that. That I should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews 10, 25, and because I know it pleases God for me to be plugged into the local church, I'm going to be in church on Wednesday night if we have in church. Can you say amen? And I'll be here Sunday. Let me tell you why, because I want to please God. And anytime we have service, I'm going to be here, because I want to please God. God. Now that's not shouldn't just be true for what we do on Sunday and Wednesday, but it certainly needs to be true for what we do on Sunday and Wednesday. That is the basis, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we got to start somewhere. And being plugged into your local church is a good place to start. Now, that should translate to every other sphere of my life. I want to please God not just at church, but I want to please God at my workplace. I want to live in a way that people see a difference in me. I want to show the love of Jesus, but I also want to share the love of Jesus. And I want to take advantage of every opportunity that God gives me and every open door that God places in my path so I can walk through and make a difference in the life of somebody else. Maybe I can encourage someone else. Maybe I can edify someone else and build them up. Maybe God gives me the opportunity and privilege to evangelize someone else and share my faith and tell them what Jesus has done in my life. So there needs to be a desire within us to please the Lord if we're truly going to walk by faith, if you believe it's amen. Desire. That's key. That must be there. Only God can put it there. That happens because of the divine nature that we all receive at the moment of conversion. Not only should there be desire, but also diligence. Let me define diligence. Careful and persistent work or effort. We should diligently serve the Lord. Carefully, persistently, doing the work, putting forth the effort to please God. Galatians chapter number 6 says that we need not become weary in well-doing because we will reap in due time if we faint not. Amen? Now I'm going to tell you, folks, it is really easy to get tired in the work of the Lord. Would you agree? I think all of us have been there one time or another. Sometimes, I've, I've told you before, man, when, you, when you're... Um, you know, the last few months, the Lord has uh, gifted me with the opportunity of, of getting some overtime hours and doing some, some extra work at my job. And so some weeks, you know, we've gotten in um, 60, 70 hours at my work. Well, when you put that in with having a family and everything that goes on with a family, and you, then you put that in with the church and everything that goes on with the church, 
Sometimes I don't know if I'm washing or hanging out. I don't even know if I'm coming or going. It's easy to get tired in the work of the Lord. But I can honestly say, I don't get tired of the work of the Lord. I truly don't. The, the work of the Lord, what God has called me to do in, the, in my ministry that God has given me, that, that brings me um, a, a renewed refreshing as I see God move and work and have his way and will. And it's a joy to serve God. And it brings joy to me when I serve God. There's nothing I'd rather do than do what God has called me to. Amen? So even though we can get tired in it, I don't get tired of it. And we've got to diligently, persistently put forth the effort that it takes to please God daily. Well, practically, what does that look like? How do we walk this out? How do, how do we be like Enoch and please God by how we walk daily, how we live daily? Well, just three or four things that I want to give you. First of all, let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about prayer. Do you remember in the book of Luke? I think it's Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, I believe it's going to be verse number one, brothers. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples of the Lord Jesus come to him. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Like John taught his disciples, would you teach us as we are your disciples? And I want you to think about that just a moment. Here you have Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, God incarnate in the flesh, ministering to the disciples, with the disciples. And Jesus is the greatest preacher who's ever preached, and he's the greatest worker of miracles the world has ever seen. And Jesus is doing things nobody has ever thought possible. I mean, he's walking on water and raising up dead people and feeding uh, thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. But when the disciples come to him, they don't ask him to teach them how to preach. I mean, as a preacher, I can understand why you would watch. I would, want, I would ask him that. I do ask him that. So, so I, can, I can see him saying that. Hey, you know what? I would like to do some of that cool stuff you're doing, Jesus. How about letting me perform some of these miracles? I mean, they could have asked him that too, but they didn't. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Let me tell you why I think they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I think they realized that Jesus was doing the things he was doing as a result of of his prayer life to his heavenly father. He was receiving the power he needed to do the things God the Father wanted him to do while he walked on this earth in the flesh. That power came through his prayer life. Jesus was certainly a man of prayer, commanded us to pray, taught his disciples to pray. Paul was a man of prayer. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, the apostle Paul wrote, pray without ceasing. He means it. If you read the writings of Paul, you'll find that every time he writes a letter to the church, he prays for them in that letter. Why? He believed in the power of prayer. 
Paul was a man of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. Let me tell you something. Peter certainly realized the power of prayer. Let me tell you how I know that. Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter 12, Peter was in prison, was about to be executed, was actually set to be executed the next day. And what did God's people do? God's people had a prayer meeting. They joined at the local home of one of the members of the church, and they prayed unto the Lord, the Bible says, all night long. In Acts chapter 12, in verse number 12, guess what happens? An angel of the Lord rescues Peter from the prison cell, brings him out of the prison and right up to the steps of the house. I want to read to you something. Acts chapter 12, verse number 12. Look what happens. I love this. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. They're having a prayer service there at John Mark's mama's house. And as for Peter, who was in the prison, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, verse 14. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. So here they are. They've been praying for Peter all night long, asking God to deliver him. And the moment God delivers him, brings him right to the house... She don't even let him in. <laughs> so here Peter is standing outside. She runs back in the house. Y'all ain't going to believe this. Peter's outside. Now watch the next verse. This will really get you. Watch verse 15. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. They said, uh, Then said they, It is his angel. Everybody see it? These people are guilty of praying like we sometimes pray. They were praying, yes, and that's good. And God in his mercy and grace answered their prayer. But according to verses 14 and 15, they really weren't believing that God was able, were they? The damsel who answered the door when Peter came knocking Ran back in and him let him in. And then when she got back in, all of them said, well, that's really his angel. They've already killed him. You're, you're crazy. What were they praying for? Deliverance. What did God do? He, de he delivered Peter by his power. And again, he did it by his mercy and grace, but they did not put faith behind their prayers. Peter certainly realized the power of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. Paul was a man of prayer. We must be people of prayer if you believe it. Say amen. Listen, pray for your pastor. I've told you before, folks, if you want better preaching, I need better praying. Pray one for another. That's why we set aside 9 o'clock to do that every day. Pray that God would have his way and will in this fellowship of believers. Pray for those who are sick. Pray for those who are sin sick. Pray and ask God to do what only God can do. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. So I, listen, I don't want to miss out on anything God has for me because I'm not asking. J. Vernon McGee once said that he believed the blessings of God are getting moldy up in heaven because nobody asked for them. Let's start asking. Let's pray big prayers because we have a big God. Can you say amen to that? He's able. Let's be men and women of prayer. That's one way we walk by faith. Let me give you another way we walk by faith. Not only through prayer, but the study of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, not some Scripture, not most Scripture, not a lot of Scripture, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means all Scripture is God-breathed. How does God speak to us? Let me ask you this. You ever been riding down the road? 
Something's going on in your life. You've been praying about a certain issue, whatever it might have been. And a song come on the radio right at the right time to give you exactly what you need in that moment. It's just like God put it right there for you right when you needed it. Does God speak that way? Absolutely. Sure he does. How many of you have ever been in a Bible study like this? Or in a Sunday school class? Or in a time of worship? And the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, or whoever is, is sharing the word of God. And, and listen, it starts hitting in your life just exactly what you need in that moment. I told you the story one time about when I was at a revival service. And I, and I was getting, getting ready to leave that night. And I was standing at the back of the church. Everybody was coming out. I was greeting them as I was leaving. A lady walks up to me and says, how'd you know? And I said, how'd I know what? She said, who told you? I said, who told me what? I really believed that lady thought I'd been camping out at her house, doing surveillance on what was going on. Listen, I knew nothing about her. I'd never met her before in my life. I didn't know, but praise God, the Holy Spirit did. And God uses his people to speak into our lives. That's happened to me many times. How many times have you been sat with a brother or sister in Christ? Maybe it's not a pastor. Maybe it's not a preacher. Just another fellow believer. And they start telling about what God has done for them. They didn't even know that's what God needed to do for you, and they brought great encouragement to you. Does God speak that way? Absolutely does. Now, let me tell you this, though. I want to give you a surefire way of knowing God can speak to you and will speak to you each and every day. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is Holy Spirit-inspired truth given to you. Amen? Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study, to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. That's a way we worship. Pray. Study the Word of God. Let me give you another one. And, and what it means to walk by faith. How about worship itself? Worship the Lord. Now, now let me say something to you folks. I am so thankful that God has given us the freedom of worship. Can you say amen? <laughs> I love that. I love freely worshiping Jesus. How do we worship Jesus? Well, we sing to him, don't we? Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 47, verse number 1, excuse me, Psalms 96, verse number 1, that we sing a new song unto the Lord. <laughs> And a way that we worship the Lord is singing to Him. Now let me encourage you to do something. When you come in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whenever we choose to come together and worship the Lord, never, never just think the songs we play is a segue to get from one part of the service to the next. No, that is an opportunity and a privilege we have to sing praise unto Jesus. To meet with Him and fellowship with Him. 
Because the Bible says he inhabits the praise of his people. Can you say amen? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, man, I love to get in a good worship service when the people of God are worshiping the Lord. That's just a little bit of heaven right here on earth. It's amazing. It's powerful. It's good. Take advantage of that. Sing the song unto the Lord. Now, I know everybody sounds better in the shower. I do. I, I sound really, I think I do. I sound really good in the shower. I don't know about in here. Sing the song in the shower, but don't miss out on singing in the sanctuary. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Don't matter how you sing it. What matters is who you're singing to. Amen. That's what he wants. That's what he deserves. Sing that new song of the Lord. We worship through song. Let me give you another one. How many of you know that we worship through the clapping of hands? Psalm 47 and verse number 1. The scripture says that we are to clap our hands unto the Lord. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shouting, clapping hands, that's a way of worship. Let me give you another one. Psalm 150. Psalm 150, verse number one, brothers, watch this. I love this one. <clears throat> praise you, the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firm of his power. How are we going to praise him? Look at the next verse. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with a psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him on the high-sounding cymbals. Verse number six. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. No, we praise him through song, through the clapping of hands, through shouting. We praise him through the playing of music. Now, I think a lot of times we get so concerned over style of worship that we miss the whole point. Brothers and sisters, I don't care if we're praising him with a piano or we're praising him with a guitar, an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar. I don't care what we're praising it with praising him with as long as we're praising him I had a young man come to me years ago he said brother Israel, I, I, the only thing I can play is a trumpet I played a trumpet years ago in the high school band he said I'd like to bring my trumpet just play it for the Lord he would come on a Sunday morning and play amazing grace on that trumpet what a blessing it was playing that song for Jesus it's a way of worship it's a way of walking by faith let me tell you something else we can do the Bible says that we can lift holy hands into the Lord. That's an act of worship. Did you know that? No, I know most of y'all came from a church or grew up in a church just like I grew up in one. And, and, and the one I grew up in was um, very traditional. And nobody in the church I grew up in, they never raised their hands unless you had a question. And then even then it was iffy, <laughs> right? This ain't something you did. And, and, and so a lot of times we're a little bit iffy about doing something. No, folks, listen, the Bible teaches that. Let me give you a great, great verse coming from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8. 1 Timothy 2, 2 and 8 says, Paul, speaking to Timothy here, says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere doing what? Lifting up holy hands. Now, do, do, you, do you have to lift up holy hands to worship God? No. Can you lift up holy hands in worship? Yes. Should you? Yes. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with that. Be free in your worship. We walk by faith, 
through prayer, through the study of the Word of God, through worship. We walk by faith. Let me give you another one. By witnessing. Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13. Watch what the Scripture says there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe it, say amen. Verse 14, watch this. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how they shall believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You say, oh, brother, that's where you come in. Well, yeah, you're right. I'm glad I get to preach this gospel. But that's where you come in, too. Do you know every blood-bought, born-again believer is a preacher? You may not be called to stand behind a pulpit and pastor a church, but you are called to preach or proclaim this gospel message. And what a privilege. God could have used any number of ways to preach this gospel. He could have used the angels of heaven to preach this gospel. He could have took his finger and wrote the gospel across the sky if he wanted to. But no, he chose to use me and he chose to use you. And what a privilege it is to have a part in changing someone's life in eternity by sharing this message of Jesus. How shall they hear without a preacher? How do we walk by faith? We pray, we study the word of God, we worship. We witness, we persistently put forth the effort to please God. Desire, diligence, let me give you one more, discipline. The root word of discipline is disciple. You'll never be a disciple unless you show discipline in your life. What is discipline? There's a lot of different definitions for discipline. Let me give you my favorite one. Discipline is doing what you know to be right even when you don't feel like it. That's discipline. I'm not against motivation. Um, motivation is not a bad thing. Motivation is a good thing. But we have to go deeper than mere motivation. Because motivation only lasts for a certain time and motivation is greatly impacted by how you feel. It really is. So it has to be more than just motivation. It has to be a discipline. Doing what you know to be right even when you don't feel like it. You know, there are times that I get up on a Sunday morning and I think, man, I think it would be good just to stay here this morning. You ever been there? Come home on a Wednesday evening and it's cold and it's raining and, man, everything's busy around the house. Boy, it's just going to be tough to get there tonight. It's, it'd really just be better if I could just stay here tonight. You ever been there? Hey, God, God gives me an opportunity, opens a door at, you know, my workplace or wherever I'm at, you know, and, and um, gives me the, the opportunity and the privilege to share truth with somebody. But I'm really busy and I got a lot of things to do and I got a place to be. So it's easier not to, I don't really feel like it right now. It's easier not to do that right now. I don't really feel like it. Discipline is you doing what you know God wants you to do whether you feel like it or not. Feelings have nothing to do with it if you're disciplined, if you're truly being a disciple. Sometimes we come into a church service and 
We just don't feel like worshiping, and there can be a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe things just ain't going like you want it to go. Maybe you've prayed and 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 you don't want us to pray and it don't seem like nothing's happening and you're discouraged. And you just think, you know, it just ain't in me today. I just don't feel like it. Well, if you wait till you feel like it before you serve God, worship God, fellowship with God, then you're going to miss out on a whole lot of meaningful times in your life to worship God, serve God, and fellowship with God. Don't wait till you feel like it. Listen, serve Jesus because he's worthy. Worship Jesus because he's worthy. Not because we feel it. Discipline goes much deeper than motivation. Can you say amen? Let's be disciples. Let's be faithful. Let's walk by faith just like Enoch did. Without faith, without a walking faith, it's really impossible to please God. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions?